Hello and welcome to the Junkyard Love Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Bradley Roth uh, of the Not Most People podcast. Uh, I think you guys are really going to like this episode. Bradley, you want to uh, give me a little bit of your background, just kind of a bio of what you do, how you got here, what's going on in your world? Yeah, uh, I'll try and keep it short, but my how I got here is pretty indirect. I started out in the fitness industry growing up. Who I was. I was sports, working out. That's kind of all I knew, how I defined myself. And then got through college. I did that for about five years, training groups, people one on one. From there, I dabbled in real estate, network marketing, a couple other things. I wasn't sure kind of what I wanted to do. And then my fiance uh, is a nurse, and we just had to do the travel nurse thing for a little while. And so I had to find something that was location independent very quickly. And I kind of dove head first into entrepreneurship, started with social media, marketing, social media management, transition to Facebook ads, transition to uh, chat bots. And this was all over the course of probably three years. And then during that time, I kind of knew for a while that uh, I wanted to long-term be in the coaching and personal development space. That was kind of what I was really passionate about and where I felt like I could really help people a lot. And uh, I I had this concept for a podcast. Well, actually it wasn't for a podcast, just a concept for like a brand called Not Most People. I had it probably two or three years ago. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And I got into this kind of mastermind group called the RTA Syndicate and I'd been listening to podcasts, but everyone I was listening to had like big time personal brands, big time businesses, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and stuff like that. And so I didn't think like a, a normal person like me could podcast. Right. And then I got into this group and I found that like a ton of people had podcasts. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I went on a couple as a guest, the first one, I was nervous. I was like, I don't know about this. And uh, but then I went on another one and it went really well. Like an hour later, we're still flowing. It's going great. Got off that. This was actually last November. And right after that episode, I said, okay, not most people is going to be a podcast. Nice. And I said I was going to launch by January. It took me until about mid-March to get up and going. And my plan was to kind of do this as on the side as a little passion project and then continue to work on my marketing business. And eventually, once I kind of saw that through or sold it or whatever, then I would allow myself to move into kind of the coaching space where I wanted to go. But the podcast got off to kind of a, a good start, got a lot of 
good feedback. I think my marketing experience really helped with that. And that kind of was a sign to me that like, this is where you, this area is where you need to be spending more of your time. Mm. So I kind of followed my gut and kind of dialed things down on the marketing business and have been ramping things up in the coaching side. Uh, so now I have the podcast to help other people launch their podcasts with an online course. And then um, I've kind of decided to specialize or niche down into relationship coaching. So for people who are in long-term relationships, uh, particularly entrepreneurs, high performers, that's who I kind of like to mm-hmm. work with, spend time with. And so, yeah, it's been kind of a weird, uh, weird way to get here, but <laughs> that's where we are now. So working on kind of those two things in tandem, they're not directly related, but there's some overlap. So it kind of works. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I could totally see how it all coincides together um, and kind of leads you on your journey to where you are now. So you talked about the uh, the mastermind. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What was this situation? Uh, explain it for someone who hasn't even heard of masterminds or any sort of these get togethers. Yeah. So a couple of big time entrepreneurs, I can't remember how I initially found them, but Andy Frisella he for many years had the world's uh, number one entrepreneurship podcast and it's still ranked, I think top five or so, something like that. But I had been listening to that for a while, uh, back two, three years ago. That's probably the first podcast I really got into. And then him and uh, a partner or another kind of big figure, Ed Milet, who's also very well known, mm. uh, I had to get together and kind of create a mastermind that was about I mean, arte in Latin basically means like excellence. Okay. So the goal is to kind of, it's business focused, but it's also kind of like everything in life. Like everyone in there, it's, you know, you're trying to get your body and mind and fitness, right? It's not a bunch of bro marketing tactics. It's principles. It's, it's like stuff that, you know, there's so much of this kind of guru fake bro marketing stuff out there, especially coming from the marketing space. Like I see it all the time. And, uh, you know, it's kind of all like anti that. And so uh, they opened up this mastermind and the first year they did it, it was like 60 grand a year and you had to be doing a million dollars in your business and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'll put that on like the, the three to five year vision board. And then I found out this past year that they had actually kind of restructured it to where, you know, it was still a decent investment, but nothing near that. Um, and so it was like, you know, three, $400 a month and you had to apply to get in. And so I applied to this and I got in and I was, I mean, at the time it was definitely a stretch for me. And I was like, man, I've never really had a monthly commitment to anything like that, you know, and there's about 2000 people in it, but I got in there and they do kind of private one-on-one calls a few times a month with Andy and Ed. And sometimes they'll bring in guests, but then you have the Facebook community of like a couple of thousand other kind of like-minded entrepreneur individuals and so it's just been really powerful over the last year. I've made like so many connections and um, it's kind of hard to like, I think back, I'm like, man, who did I talk to or hang out with before I joined that group, you know? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's important because if you're an entrepreneur and like right now I'm pretty much a solopreneur, I work at home. It's like, it gets lonely <laughs> sometimes, yeah, you know? Right, so right. it's really important to connect with other like-minded people who you know, who get it, who are going to push you to be better and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of groups and programs and stuff like that nowadays, but that one's been really huge for me. 
Yeah, I, I imagine it to be incredibly fulfilling to kind of be hustling on your own in this whole environment. And uh, it obviously mm-hmm. kind of separates you and your old friends. I noticed that same sort of thing. It just, just naturally, you know, not in a bad way. It's all love in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just start to gravitate towards different interests and different ways of having conversations. And I imagine being around the, the other guys or other people who are kind of in the same mindset. They want growth. They want, you know, prosperity and self-actualization for their own life. They, you know, being around them and being able to speak on that level a lot of the time, I imagine that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, that reminds me too of the, uh, I heard you mention one of the other podcasts, and I think you might have told me on the phone, uh, you went to a Tony Robbins event. So while, while we're right here, do you want to describe your experience at the Tony Robbins event? It's definitely been something that I've always wanted to go to. I've, I've watched so many, I mean, I've listened to that guy for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> Very inspiring. Love the guy. So how, how was your experience with, with the Tony Robbins event? It was awesome. I mean, I kind of found Tony, uh, you know, most people find him through his events or YouTube or his audio courses or something like that. I found him through uh, one of his books, Awaken the Giant Within, which is a pretty well-known book. And I read that, I think it was back 2017. I was reading that because I was dealing with some limiting beliefs, you know, still am, of course, but I was like, what do I read to, to improve on this? And a lot of people suggest that book. So I'm like, all right, let's tell you, I've heard of this guy, but I don't know anything about him. I was reading that book. And as I'm reading this book, it's just like light bulb moment after light bulb moment after light bulb moment. Like, it's like, man, now I understand why I do this. And I understand why people do this. And I understand why this has held me back and why I have this belief and like just all these things like crazy. And uh, so like that book alone changed my life. But then I read the book and I told my girlfriend, I'm like, you know, like this book's been amazing. I was like, I started looking into his uh, events a little bit, you know, cause I started looking them up. I was like, what's, what else does he have? And found his events are like a big thing. I'd never even heard of his events before that somehow. Uh, and then we watched together, we watched the Netflix documentary, I'm Not Your Guru, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which you might've seen. And then after that, my girlfriend's like, okay, I kind of, I kind of get it. The events look kind of cool. And then she surprised me Christmas of 2017 with tickets to UPW, which is Bless his. Her. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, super cool. I did not see that coming. And it was like UPW is his main four day event. You know, it's like 10,000 people, four days, like 15 hour days. Like it's, you know, it's pretty nuts. And uh, hosted in like a, like a hockey stadium. Usually this one was in San Jose, California. So in March of 2018, we go there and you walk in and like you walk into this place and it's like culture shock. Like everyone in there is like all pumped up, you know, like exactly what you'd expect from like a motivational kind of seminar thing. Right. Right. Like, geez, what do we get ourselves into? Like (laughs) my fiance is like, I'm about to turn around and walk out of here. (laughs) You know, but like, it's all like in a good way. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just going in with an open mind just go, go with it and see what happens. Cause I think if you go in with expectations or whatever, that can kind of change the experience. So we went in and like, by the end of day one, they break you so far out of your shell, like, <laughs> like doing crazy, uh, icebreakers with like strangers and, you know, dancing and hugging and like all this like stuff that you're like, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. But then by day two and three, like you, you there's no other place that you won't want to be and it's like it's the most fun you'll have in your life 
surprisingly. Like people think, oh, it's a seminar. Like you sit and you listen to PowerPoints. And it's like, no, it's like very involved, very active. And um, you're constantly like they're keeping the energy up. And there's a lot of reasons and science behind it too. But it creates the emotional space to have a lot of kind of breakthroughs, you know, and left that event and I swear for like six months afterwards, like I was just on fire. Like I had so much momentum. I lost a bunch of weight right away. I was like signing clients that left and right that like I didn't, I didn't even know how, like it was just, I don't know. And then that also kind of really set me, like I had been started to read and get into personal development a little bit, but after that event is when it really took off and I started diving in hard on that stuff because I mean, you go and it's like, yeah, it's great. And you get pumped up and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of really deep psychology work that you do during it that like, again, builds on those light bulb moments that I was having before. So just, uh, yeah, that was, that was super powerful. And then we ended up actually going and we crewed one of those events about six months later where we were like volunteering, we helped and oh, nice. that was kind of a, a whole nother side of that experience. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that sounds awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, it's on my list of eventuals to to attend is, is a Tony Robbins event. I always think they look absolutely fascinating. Thinking about what it did, what it did for you. I mean, the first day, especially, it sounds like it really took your identity and just just shook it. You know, just kind of like made you really step out of your shell, made you step out of your own habits and your your moods and emotions and your preconceived ideas about that. Um, and then it took you know a couple days after that to kind of. Not, not necessarily, I'm, sh- I'm sure it was feeding you a lot of information, but almost kind of tapping into information that you already knew about yourself, kind of feeding the right sides of yourself. And I think, uh, you, you know, I, I think a lot of times we're able to do this with the internet nowadays, like podcasts and YouTube videos. Um, I, went, I mean, I, I went through tons of times where I'm just watching way too many YouTube videos and it, it'll send you, you would listen to podcasts on YouTube, it sends you to someone's book and you're reading their book. And, you know, there'd be, there'd be times, weeks and months at a time where I would go through kind of that same, how yeah, you had your six months of just high energy momentum. I feel mm-hmm. like I was able to kind of obtain that in, in certain roller coaster ways with, with YouTube and podcasts and audiobooks mm-hmm. and such. Um, so where, what do you see as like, like what is really going on here? Is, is, is it as simple as that? Like how would you explain it, Bradley? So this, this stripping of our identity and kind of a revamping of who we think ourselves to be. Like how could, um, you know, not most people, people desiring this, how could they kind of achieve this or lean into it or kind of search for it in the ways that, that you and, and me a little bit have found? Wow. I mean, that's really, that's like a major kind of can of worms question. Like there's a lot of different things that go into that, but yeah. I would say, I, I think the whole world would be vastly improved in every way. If people just learned a little bit about kind of how the mind works, right? They learned a little bit about beliefs and dug into why they have certain beliefs and understanding their behaviors like one of his one of tony's main frameworks probably one of his most well-known things is the six human needs and there's six human needs that everybody has universally the first four are called the needs of the personality and those four everyone finds a way to meet those needs either healthily or unhealthily whether they recognize it or not the last two are the needs of the soul and that's what leads to kind of um, fulfillment so the first four are certainty uncertainty of variety, significance, and love and connection. And those four needs, everyone finds some way to meet those needs. 
right? And then the last two, which lead to actual fulfillment, are growth and contribution. And so everyone finds a way to meet those first four. And so like you could look at anyone's behavior and or like I can now that I understand those those needs and uh, I can look at anyone's behavior and say, oh, they're doing it because they're trying to meet this need, right? He's doing this. This person's being a bully because they're trying to get significance in their life, you know, or they're trying to get love and connection at the same time from their friends who are going to think they're cool, right? Um, and so a lot of times you're meeting multiple needs at a time. If you are meeting more than three needs at a time, it's very likely that whatever it is you're doing to do that becomes an addiction. And so it's really easy, like once you have an understanding of that framework to say, okay, here's where I'm, here's why I'm doing this, this bad habit that I can't break, it's meeting this need. And so now how do I find a more healthy way to meet that need, right? And so you're able to kind of like reverse engineer all of and understand all of your behaviors or same for anyone else. Like I can look at almost anyone else and what they're doing or not doing. I can say, oh yeah, they're doing that to meet this need. They're doing that to meet that need. And so just like frameworks like that to understand yourself and others, it's like, man, if people had just a very baseline understanding of that, like mm -hmm. the world would be such a different place. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I think about this moment when you first, right at the beginning, if you kind of have been living some sort of unconsciously where you're not really realizing, oh, I'm just meeting a need or, oh, I'm trying to get that thing. I don't actually need that. Oh, I'm just trying to feel this way or whatever we're trying to obtain and, and get and uh, hold on to. Uh, that, that moment when we notice it, I feel like, you know, part of our ego gets in the way and, and blocks it out. And it's like, no, that's not you. And it, it ignores it or, or it hurts. You know, it, it hurts to look at the, the places within us where we are inadequate or um, uh, where we're doing things. We're like, dang, I just ate another whole bag of chips. You know, I, like here I go again. I didn't want to do that. I told myself I was going to have a quarter of it, whatever it is. Um, so what, what, do you, what do you think about that moment right there? where we first notice it, that little piece of awareness, because I think that's a really defining, you can either, you know, sheer away from it, look away from it, or you can say, huh, there I am doing that thing again. What, what is it that I'm trying to get? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you nailed it. Like awareness is step one. Like if you don't have awareness, then you can't fix anything if you're not aware of it, right? And so again, this basic understanding starts to build that awareness and like you'll, so you'll notice things a little bit, but then like the more aware you become, the more, like the, the faster you can catch yourself and analyze yourself and fix the problem. Right. And that's why like you hear about meditation and creating awareness because when you have awareness, then you're in more in control. So yeah, creating like that basic awareness, that understanding is definitely step one and most people just go through life and they are completely unaware of why they do things or why they can't break certain patterns right like a lot of people will pick up a behavior as a child to get love from their parents or um, their friends so as a kid someone who's very loud and complains a lot and that sort of thing gets them attention from their parents whether it's good or not Right. And then 20 years later, that person could still be exhibiting that same behavior because they learned when they were a kid that that's how they get love and attention is by mm -hmm. being loud and obnoxious or complaining or something like that. And so we continue to carry on these behaviors that 
served us back then, but no longer serve us. Right? But if we're not aware, then there's no there's no way we're going to change, right? Um, or let's say your parents, like your dad, really really wanted you to get good grades, and like he'd either be really mad or disappointed if you didn't, or he would, you know, he'd be super happy if you didn't. Obviously, like you want love from your dad. And so that can turn someone into like a super high achiever who, you know, but then that may turn them into kind of a workaholic. And they think that as an adult, that the more they work and the more they're more their love they're going to get, but it probably doesn't work that way to a degree. And so it's just like all these patterns are kind of like, if we can rewind and go back into our past and figure out where they originated and and which ones are still serving us, which ones aren't, then yeah, that's where that awareness kicks in and allows us to say, okay, here's what I need to change. Here's how I can, here's another way I can meet that need, you know, that's more healthy and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, man. I really like that. Do you have a meditation practice yourself or do you find yourself um, teaching or recommending a certain type of meditation or way of bringing awareness to your clients? <sighs> that's a good question. I think. I don't think there's a one size fits all for it. Um, I struggle with meditation for sure. I, I go through bouts where I'm real consistent and then I'll go through, you know, a phase where I'm not really doing it much. And, same, same, yeah. and I, I could tell the difference. Um, I find for me, I can't just do like a silent meditation. Like my internal dialogue is like a thousand miles an hour at all times. <laughs> so, uh, whereas like, you know, some people, like at this at Tony Robbins events or whatever else, like if they do some kind of guided thing, like a lot of people can get really into it, like emotionally connected quickly. And it's like, it takes me forever, if at all, to be able to do that and like shut off that internal dialogue. So for me, uh, it is pretty difficult to kind of silence that inner voice sometimes, or, you know, you don't want to try and control it too much. I think I'm always trying to maybe control it a little much, but yeah. anyways, when it comes to meditation, I definitely need guided if anything. Um, and then one thing, again, that Tony taught is that if you get yourself physically high, like high energy state, like breathing hard or whatever, and then all of that with some sort of meditation or visualization, you're allowed to, you can go much deeper. So you have to mm -hmm. go high to go low. And, uh, so that definitely helps. I know like if I am in a low energy state, you know, I just woke up, I'm kind of tired, drowsy, whatever. And then I go and I try to uh, meditate. It just, it doesn't work as well as if I, you know, uh, throw on a, a high energy song for a couple minutes or go for a walk or something before, you know, and then I'm able to get into it more. But another thing for me is meditation visualization. It comes down to being present, right. And getting all those things that are going through our minds at all times about the stuff we got to do later or things we're stressed mm -hmm. about or whatever, kind of silencing those that's what it's really about. And that's, you know, so it's cool to sit there and, you know, breathe in, breathe out, that kind of stuff. But for me, what I found to actually be the most effective is to go for a walk, like just out in nature. And mm -hmm. so almost every day, it's really hot right now. It's like 110 degrees and I got to go for a walk because that's what I do each day right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm also doing a kind of a 75 hard mental toughness challenge. Um, mm. but I found the walks for me are super beneficial because when you get away from your computer, you go outside, it just forces you to kind of be present and it mm -hmm. doesn't happen right away. Like if you go for a five or 10 minute walk, it might not do the trick, but 
if you go for a 30, 40 minute walk, I guarantee by the time you get back, your head's going to be a lot clearer. And so I've almost used that as like an active form of meditation and getting present and yeah, and it depends on the day. Some days if I'm my gears are really turning too much and I need to slow it down, I'll go just silent, like no headphones or anything. Uh, if I want to, some days if I want to refocus, I'll throw on a podcast. Other days, if I want to bring my energy up, if I'm feeling low energy, I'll put on music. And so I kind of use that walk. It gets you moving physically. It you know forces you to be aware of your surroundings, where you're, wherever you're at. And uh, I found that to be really powerful and really helpful. For yeah. Me. yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, I feel like walks are massively underrated for that. I mean, they, they can really get you, especially nowadays, you know, a lot of times we're working on the computer, we're working at home, we're sitting in our own smells for a long time, you know, getting outside and just getting some fresh air, getting some temperature, um, some vitamin D, you know, waving to your neighbors, getting mm -hmm. present, stretching your eyes too, you know, it's like this, this small thing. But I, I, I imagine that the effects on our eyesight and the way that we see um, suddenly within the last, you know, 20, 25 years, just being on screen so much has definitely changed from looking all around and trying to peer for, for prey and, and, uh, and, and predator. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, so certainly going for a walk, greatly underrated. I highly recommend it. I agree with you, Bradley. Um, hey, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to fitness, so obviously just going for a walk absolutely anything is so much better than doing completely nothing. So that I always tell people like, Hey, if you can't get a workout in, get a stretch in, like fall over out of your chair and roll around for 10 minutes. That's better than absolutely nothing. If you, yep. if you, if you can't drink any water, like try to drink half a cup of water, whatever it is that you can get in. Um, when it comes to fitness, do you have like, I mean, do you have any blanket statements that you, that you like to apply or making people kind of think differently about fitness about their physical body and how it really relates to our mental body what, what do you have in this realm because i know you're a personal trainer too as well before this so yeah yeah there's there's a whole lot that can go a whole lot of ways we can go with that as well uh but what you said about the walk is important because something like a walk like let's talk about habits in general I'm trying to instill new habits like you go to the gym on new year's and it's packed two weeks later it's empty why is that? Because people try to make like instant massive changes and it's not sustainable and it's not fun and your willpower is finite and it's gonna drop out, right? So if you're trying to go from couch potato to like, I'm gonna go run two miles every day, which I hear people try and do all the time. You know, it's like, I'll, I'll give me 10 to one odds, like you're gonna be back on the couch in a few weeks, you know? so. Something like a walk is something that like anyone can do, right? Like that's, if you, uh, a book I really love is Atomic Habits. I recommend it all the time. Mm. And James Clear, right? James. Yep. James Clear. Yeah. And, uh, one of the biggest principles is to make it easy, right? So instead of saying, okay, I'm going to go run five miles a day, say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym for 10 minutes. Mm. Like anyone can go to the gym for 10 minutes, right? But like once you're there and once you're doing it, you're probably going to stay a little bit longer, right? So it's just like getting yourself to begin and take that first step and take action often leads to more action. And so making it easy, like, again, if we're talking about, like, if you're trying to go from kind of, you're starting at uh, non-active or not consistently working out and you're trying to make that a new habit or improve, something like that walk is a great place to start because for me, 
even some days of like if I don't make it to the gym, which right now I have to because of this challenge I'm doing, but generally it's like if I don't make it to the gym, I'm like, okay, at least I walked, at least I moved my body today. You know, and at least, you know, because the body's not made to be sedentary. And so we think that rest is, you know, rest is important, recovery is important for sure, but um, but just moving makes such a difference especially again we're sedentary all day i got a standing desk so i like to stand up sit down day back and forth um but yeah it, there's a, there's a lot of i guess one of the things would be there's the other extreme where people work out work out work out and they never recover and they don't mm. really recovery and people think that when you work out you are in better shape right after. So, no, you're actually in worse shape right after you work out because you just broke down your body. And the only way you actually get better is by rebuilding it stronger. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see people who lift weights like seven days a week and there's ways to do it, you know, body, different body splits and intensity levels and stuff like that. But a lot of people think if they just go, go, go and just pound themselves into the ground that that's going to force more adaptation. And it's like, well, if you're constantly breaking down, you're not giving your body a chance to build back up. And so you see a lot of people, and I did this for a while too, it's like, they'll go to the gym and you'll lift. And then you like look in the mirror right after you're oh, like, yeah. is there a difference? Like, did it make a difference? And it's yeah. like, I noticed for me, if I work out really hard for a few days and I'm feeling pretty beat up and sore, I'm going to notice a difference in how I look two to three days later, once I've recovered and rebuilt. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling like really sore, I'm like, and I'm like, I'm sore. Like I should look a little bit better. And like, you can, you can almost tell if you're low body fat, you can kind of tell those slight changes, but, um, I know that, okay, I'm in a couple of days, my muscles are going to look a lot fuller than they are now, mm-hmm. you know? So giving that time to like understanding that it's actually the rebuilding and the recovery and the refeeding that is going to actually make you better. Right. Right. Are, are you still, um, are you still doing any sort of CrossFit? Like what are, what are your workouts typically like? like the, I mean, obviously everything's pretty crazy since COVID. That's just, we're all just figuring out different ways to do everything. But I, uh, I, I have definitely found, I was a weightlifter for a long time and I tried to do a decent amount of cardio, but as far as any sort of CrossFit movement, um, like dancing, Zumba, any sort of those like constantly moving practices, kind of new to me. Now that I've been using kettlebells, I really enjoy kind of a more primitive swinging around, um, you know, flexing a lot of different areas of your body, getting really stable, a lot of the core effort. I like a lot of that now. Um, so what, what's, what, what's your workouts now? You do CrossFit or what, what do you do? I do, yeah. I've been, I've been doing CrossFit pretty much off and on for the last like 10 plus years. And I find that every time I kind of get away from it, I always end up finding my way back uh, somehow. Like I took, I took a year off during COVID just because uh, I actually got injured a little bit. And so I decided to take some time off and then gyms were closed for a while. And so I just kind of ended up taking about a year off, but then I I got back to it uh, this past spring and it's like, it's like falling in love with it again. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's interesting. I will say that CrossFit is, it's not a franchise, it's an affiliate. And so every gym is going to have a very different experience. And so a lot of people will go to one gym and think that's what all CrossFit is. And it's like, no, you can go to like two gyms that are like down the street from each other and they could be totally different programming, totally different coaching style, totally different competition level, like you name it. And so 
CrossFit is a very kind of individual like or gym thing. Uh, so something to be conscious of. So anyone who's like looking to get into it, I would say go to two or three different gyms and see which one feels right for you. Uh, but right now I'm doing my daily walks of at least 45 minutes right now uh, because that's the part of the challenge that I'm doing. Which uh, right now in Arizona, it's like 110 degrees today. So yeah, those, dang, can be, man. those can be uh, quite a workout in themselves, you know. But then I'm also doing CrossFit probably four days a week right now. And I find for me, if I'm doing more than that, I start to feel pretty beat up. Right. Um, but that's going to be different for everyone because I'm, I'm like ultra competitive. Like I get in there and then like at the end of each workout, I'm like that one guy who's like dead laying on the floor, you know, nice. <laughs> Beyonce always makes fun of me for it, but, um, leave, leave it all, leave it all there, yeah, man. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, like I go, I, I go like 95, hundred percent most of the time, even though I go in and I say, Oh, today I'm just going to like try and finish and whatever. Like I said that yesterday and I went in and I was like, absolutely crushed after yesterday so. dude it feels it feels so good you feel so your mind is so quiet you're like you feel like you really won won that battle that was internal you know yeah i mean when you're when you're going through something like crossfit or something really intense where you're like i just i gotta get through this and that's that's the only thing on your mind right now it forces you to think about nothing else yeah. and to be totally present and so that's what i love it's like i I'm working here all day. I'm like, all right, I gotta, I'm going to CrossFit. And it's like, by the end of that class, none of the other stuff outside stuff is on my mind. It's just that because it was, you know, <laughs> it forces you to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, but there are people who like, if you go to CrossFit and you're, I don't want to say a lower level athlete, but if you're not like a hardcore, like competitive athlete, you know, cause, cause the more in shape people are, the more ability they have to really push themselves really far, you know, or in terms of intensity level. And so if you're not, you know, dying on the floor like me every time, like you could probably go six days a week. And I know a lot of people who do and they're fine, you know, so it, it's really kind of an individual thing. But right now I'm doing probably four days of CrossFit, seven days of walking. And then those other, I actually do two workouts a day right now. So those other days I'll do something kind of light, you know, bodybuilding style curls or something in the living room, you know, nothing crazy. Some mobility work, which I used to do a lot more of. Uh, which is another thing that a lot of people ignore that is super, super essential is that mobility work. Uh, mm, definitely. If you're not staying mobile and you're building muscle, like your muscles get tight. Uh, I, I see so many people who neglected it and they got shoulder issues, pain all over the place. Again, we're sitting all day. So it's like you go to the gym and you know, I'm guilty of this lately. Like you work out real hard, you get sore and then you go sit all day and just stiffen up in these unnatural positions and one thing links to another. So one thing that I was really good about for a long time, uh, was doing mobility work and it paid off big time. Cause I've seen a lot of guys, you know, a lot of guys like to go in and they like to bench a lot and your shoulders get super tight. And like when your shoulders get tight then your back starts to round and then that leads to a whole host of other issues down the chain. And so just, you know, getting up throughout the day. Again, we talked about movement, but doing some stretches, doing whatever before and after your workout, like staying, because right now, a lot of people want to go hard. You know, when you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, you're like, I want to get in great shape. I want big muscles. I want this and that. But for the last probably 30 plus years of your life, what's going to be more important to you, the size of your biceps, or if you can like move comfortably and be injury free. Right. 
right? Yeah. The long-term mobility is probably more important, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's great to, man, I, every so often I'll do like a little bit of yoga and it's like a wake up call. <laughs> I'm like, yes, sir. Yoga, for someone who's like, I'm an athlete, yoga is like, oh, you know, I don't need to do that. That's girl stuff, whatever. Right. But yeah. And it's, you're like, oh, okay. I need to focus a little bit more on my mobility. <laughs> Dude, hundred percent. I'm always encouraging people. I'm always telling everybody like, have you stretched today? What are you doing without stretching? You got to get some movement in. Um, mm -hmm. And especially that like before workout, before workout, I stretch before a run, I stretch. Um, I'm actually uh, in the slow process of getting my yoga teacher certification. I just kind of stumbled across yoga a few years back. Uh, I was a lifter before. And so it totally like changed my body in the way that I think about about my body, a little less bro lifting, a little more union with, with the body and mind. Um, I, I was actually thinking about too, Bradley, when you were talking about uh, kind of just going to the gym and giving it your all, um, just going in, like you're not thinking about these other things. You basically took the other things of your day, the, the things that need to be taken care of and you shelved them. Um, it, I, I could really see how that's meditative to just be completely here. Here's what I'm doing. This one thing is I'm working out. I'm putting, I'm giving it my all. Um, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like meditation, you know, you you have your one thing you're focusing on your breath, let's say, and if anything else comes in, oh, I got that meeting in 14 hours or whatever, I've got this, whatever going on. You just say, no, I'm not worrying about that right now. You keep it on the shelf. That's kind of what this one pointed focus of meditation is. And I think there's a lot of value in doing that for your workouts as well. Um, cause I find I'll kind of go back and forth in between and tell me what you think about this for kind of our modern culture. Um, I kind of go back and forth between, I will have those times where I'm in it. I've, I've got my playlist going. I'm like, I'm here. If my phone goes off, I'm not going to answer it. If I get a text, I'm not going to answer it. I'm not thinking about anything else in my workout. But then I'll also have times where I'm very passively listening and working out. I'll have a podcast on. I'm kind of not sweating as much. Maybe I'm doing some slow stretching. Maybe I'm doing just like some, you know, messing around with the dumbbells, 15 pounds, 20 pounds. Um, what, what do you think about this difference between passive working out, passive listening to, to things, and then this full on, I'm here, I'm in it, I'm working? Mm. I would say it's, a, it's kind of an individual thing. Like some people, and I did it for a while, like kind of the bodybuilding style of working out, like you go in, you got your headphones and you're just tunnel visions on your pre-workout and you're, you're doing your thing. And then other people need a group to really kind of hit higher intensities. And so I think for a lot of people, uh, the groups are really powerful. I know for me, they are like, I, I'll try and do CrossFit on my own, like at home. And I could do a workout at home and then I'll go and do it in the class. And it could be the same exact workout. I will be far faster with mm. the class. Right. And you also warm up more. You don't take those shortcuts that you might when you're on your own, like when you're, when you're on your own and you're like, Oh, you, you tend to kind of like shorten the warm up and that mobility stuff that we're talking about. But when you're in the group and everyone's doing here, like, okay, well, everyone's doing it. So like we're doing that. That's what we're doing. And so, I find for me, the group is super powerful and especially cause everyone has their own thing with working out. Like I, I'm actually a naturally pretty lazy person when it comes to working out. I just am very competitive. And so like post college, post sports, CrossFit is like where I get my competition. And so I go and it's like each day it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try and beat this guy or that guy, or I'm going to, I'm going to try and beat this time 
you know, so sometimes you're competing against someone else, sometimes you're competing against yourself. And that's what really works in, for me and pushes me for other people. You know, they like the social aspect of the group, you know, going and being able to see their friends, you know, that's like, that's, I think one of the main things that led to CrossFit growing so quickly, like it did was that community and that culture, right? Whereas if you go to like kind of a big globo gym and you got your headphones on and that sort of thing, it's not really a social thing. It's like you, you're kind of there, it's you and you get in, you get out. So I think it's individual to everyone, but I would recommend trying both uh, because that group for me, and also another thing I love about it is, you know, I was a trainer for years. And so I know how to program and write workouts and stuff like that, which is a blessing and a curse because when I'm writing for someone else, uh, it's pretty easy. But if I'm trying to program for myself, I overthink the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. Go, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And it's like, the more, you know, the more variables you take in and then your mind starts like, and then you end up, uh, analysis by paralysis. Whereas now I'm the coach and it's like, I coach those classes that I'm taking now, but I love being able to just show up. Here's the workout. I don't have to think about what I'm going to do. And again, it just helps with kind of turning that mind off and, and just, it can be just about getting the work done. Whereas, you know, if, you, if you're following a specific program, you got a personal trainer, you have a specific sports related or bodybuilding or whatever type goal, then that individual might be better kind of individual style. Mm -hmm. So you got to find out what works for you. But I found there to be several main benefits of being in that group for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the analysis paralysis definitely rings rings true to me. It's that knowledge is power, ignorance is bliss. You know, it's there's all these wonderful, amazing different ways you can work out. There's so many different choices. There's all these different plans you can follow. Which one do you want to do today? There's so many options. But I, I think uh, I'm, I'm with you. I like that option of just go in there and the thing they have written on the board, that's what you're doing. Or the thing that that teacher is teaching, that's what you're doing. Like you're just here to work and push yourself. Otherwise they got the rest of it taken care of. I think that's incredibly valuable. Um, the, uh, it, it, as far as I want to jump to uh, a little bit more of your podcast. So what have you, what have you learned so far? Your, how many episodes in are you? You're uh, getting close to 30. Getting close to 30. So how have you changed from, you know, episode one or even before episode one or even being, even all the way back from being someone who might not even see themselves as a podcaster? That's, you already mentioned it's like, um, it, how has it changed you basically from then till now? Yeah, it's, it's been huge. Like, I don't know if I mentioned it, but growing up, I was like, I was homeschooled for a while. And so I ended up going to school from like eighth grade through high school, right? And before that, I'd never like spoken in front of a class or done a presentation or anything. So like eighth grade through high school, even through college, like that thought of speaking in front of other people scared the crap out of me. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't sleep for weeks. I'd have extreme anxiety. I'd get up there. My voice would shake. I'd sweat. It was, it was bad. Uh, I had to take a public speaking class in college. For some reason, it was required to be a trainer at, uh, I think they gave me a C because they felt bad. Yeah. And so I got out and I knew that more than anything, I wanted to coach CrossFit classes like that. I was obsessed with it back then. And I knew I was going to have to be able to command a group in a class and be loud and that sort of thing. So I got out and I went, I was basically, I hounded the owner of the gym that I wanted to work at for like months. And it's like, all right, we'll give you an internship. 
and go from there. And he's like, we love how enthusiastic you are. We know you know your stuff, but we were concerned about if you can really teach class, like command a class. And I was too, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. Uh, and uh, it took a long time. Uh, a lot of people at the gym, when I first started coaching, they were probably like, oh, this, this kid's not going to, he's not going to make it, <laughs> you know, because I was very quiet. I was very unsure. And I started with uh, kind of assisting coaching where they'd have a, a main coach and I was kind of there helping. And then they kind of switched roles where I was leading the class, but I had another coaches like backup. And eventually I was coaching my own classes. And then, you know, two, three years in, I was finally like super comfortable, could do it in my sleep, you know? So that, that experience helped a lot. But then another level of like, are you going to put out content and be a podcaster? Like even a year or two ago, I would have said like, no way you're nuts. Like, uh, I, I couldn't stand the sound of my voice played back to me. Right. Oh, I sound so nasally and flat and low end. I was like, I can't, there's no way. And, uh, I went on those podcasts. I had this concept. I was like, you know what? I just, I gotta get over it. Cause I was like, the things that I want to do in my life are going to require me to get past that and be able to speak and, and love share. that. Love that. And so I kind of gained that leverage on myself, but I started the podcast back in March. The first episode was a solo episode kind of explaining the concept of the podcast. And then, I mean, I, I basically wrote out the entire script, read it word for word and that sort of thing, try to make it sound natural. And once I got over that, that was, that was a big kind of step. And then, for the most part, it's been guest interviews. And so part of my strategy early on was, and this is, you know, important for anyone starting a podcast, as I said, you know what, I'm new at this. I haven't done a lot of speaking. So my first guests, I'm going to make sure I have people on that are going to make it really easy for me. Mm -hmm. So people who have done a lot of speaking, who can carry a conversation, who are dynamic, high energy, so that I can basically, I don't have to carry it. You know what I mean? And so I had my first few guests on were exactly that they made it super easy. Uh, and so that really helped me kind of gain some confidence early on. And I'd still in those beginning episodes and it feels like forever ago, but it's only been March is what, four months, five months. Um, I would, re I would really, really prepare hard in the beginning. And I would have all these kind of specific questions that I would kind of like check them off one by one and like do it that way. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't really, go off on much on my own. It wasn't really free flow. I was kind of like very mechanical with it. And over time, especially as I started to get a lot of like positive feedback and stuff like that. Now it's like, okay, I look up a little bit about this person, 10 minutes, I write some bullet points, kind of a few areas I want to cover. And then it's just like free flow and we go. So Ooh. in the course of like 20 to 25 episodes, it's completely changed. Like I get on there now, I'm like, all right, this is fun. I'm relaxed. Like we're gonna let's let's roll and see where it goes. Versus like in the beginning, it was like, all right, I gotta have my questions ready. I gotta know all this, and you know, if I I can't stumble here, or like if I go off on a tangent, like I'm afraid to do that. So it's really evolved very very fast, you know. So it's amazing if you kind of jump in and take action, how quickly you can improve in those areas. 
Yeah, right. I, I totally resonate with all of that. I've definitely changed my approach as I've advanced and become a better podcast host and been able to listen to my own voice back in my own head. And, uh, you know, you, you notice all of your, if you're neurotic at all, to listen to and edit your own <laughs> podcast, it's just, yeah. it's just evil. Um, but uh, I really like what you were talking about. Um, uh, you, you said something, basically, I knew that I had to do it, um, or I, kn- I knew that I had to grow through it, whatever. Basically, finding something that makes you uncomfortable and then still moving at it or, or using that as a place to push. I think that's incredibly valuable. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's just if, if I didn't really want to become a CrossFit coach, I probably still wouldn't be able to speak in front of groups. Right? If I didn't really want to become a podcaster and like get my message out, I'd probably still be super afraid to put out any audio or video content. And so it's, you know, it's all about creating leverage, right? Like if we create enough, like we do, this is another kind of Tony thing is everything that people do is to either move towards pleasure or away from pain. Mm. For me, my, the pleasure that I was seeking was to be a CrossFit coach. That's what I wanted. And so that, overrode the amount of pain that I would feel, or also I would feel a lot of pain if I didn't do that. Right. And so it's all about like, there's on both sides of the spectrum, like in the middle is neutral, right. And say on one side, you have that pain, the other side, you have that pleasure and it's moving away from that middle. Like either you're really trying hard to avoid pain or you're really trying hard to gain some sort of pleasure. At a certain point, you kind of hit that like that point where you're going to take action, where the leverage is high enough. And so, creating those kind of situations where, you know, I was like, and I'm I'm scared to podcast, but it's going to hurt a lot more if in a bunch of years I look back with regret and say, man, I should have done that. Yeah, yeah. It's like creating these situations to get leverage on yourself, either creating pain or, or you build up the other side. Like most people are more motivated by pain. Like most people will do a lot more to avoid pain than they will to gain pleasure. Okay, like you ask someone, would they rather earn an extra thousand dollars or lose a thousand dollars? Like much more, more people are like, oh, I'd, I'd rather uh, not lose a thousand dollars, even though it's the same amount of money, right? But people are much more afraid to lose than they are willing to go and gain. And so it's funny, I, I see it almost in like, I'll talk about this is, I guess it's related, but like fantasy football, mm. play, but people, you propose trades and people in fantasy football are like nine out of 10 of them are so afraid to do trades because they think, Oh, well, what if I trade my guy? And then he starts doing well. Right. Versus like, instead of thinking like, Oh, what's the upside of this guy that I'm getting. And so mm. most people would rather stay put than kind of take that, that upside risk. You know what I'm right. saying? Like most people try to minimize the downside rather than maximize the upside. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of this. Uh, uh, have you read any Simon Sinek? He's a, he's a motivational teacher. Yeah, he's, he's a leader. Um, he, he, he has a, Yeah, start with why, exactly. It might be either in that or maybe it's Leaders Eat Last. But one of his books or one of his talks, he, uh, he talks about he had the situation at the end of something or maybe a race or something, there was a line for bagels. And he was with his friend and he was like, oh, let's go get free bagels. But there was a line and his friend's like, no, I don't, I don't want to wait in the line. And he's thinking, but we get bagels if we 
if we <laughs> wait in the line, you know? And so and he was basically pointing out some people see the line and some people see the bagels, you know? Mm-hmm. And, so, and so you've got to look at wh- what do I want to get? What's my end goal? You've got to look at your, your kind of long-term self over your short-term comforts uh, because it's very easy to see the big line right there and it's hard to get started. But if you, if you focus on, okay, yes, I'm going to have to wait in this line to get the bagel, or yes, I'm going to have to learn how to stumble over my words and, and be a little bit better at public speaking if I want to get to this podcast and be a podcaster. So yeah, I think that I think that's great, great info there. Um, pu- pushing against that uncomfortability. And then also, what do you, do you have any advice for people um, trying to trying to focus more on their long term goals rather than their short term comforts? That's it's funny. That's exactly what I was going to say next. Uh, because it's so related, you know, like I thought I'm, I'm a very like future oriented person. Like I have a, I know where I want to go and I don't know exactly how I'm going to get there, but I know that like every decision that I make needs to lead towards that end goal, not today's comfort because oftentimes they're the opposite thing. Right. So I could have either said, well, I don't want to be uncomfortable today with, putting my voice out there or I don't want to feel that regret in the future, like long-term and, and not achieve my goals. And so it's, if you can have a clear picture of where you want to go in that long-term and then reverse engineer it, that's like your compass. That's like your end point. That's like, if you have, if you have a map and you're trying to get somewhere, like, you know, where you want to go. And then it's like pretty obvious. Okay. I need to turn here. I need to go there. But most people don't have that figured out. Like if you ask the average person, like, what do you want in life? Like, what's, what are you doing in 10 years? Most of them are like, well, I don't know. Like they never even thought. I, about I hope it. I have a million yeah. bucks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, oh yeah. Someday this, someday that. And uh, someday typically means never unless you have a direct plan. And mm-hmm. so that's like step one. I think for everyone who hasn't done it is get really, really clear about what you want out of your life and your future because otherwise you're just going to kind of drift and like you don't know where the heck you're going to end up but it's probably not going to be where you want if you're not intentional about it and Mm -hmm. so a lot of people if you ask them to do that they say wow i really i want a lot of money it's like okay well how much exactly why do you want it what are you going to do with it like get specific because the mind doesn't direct itself towards non-specific things right and so that's why people create vision boards and it's like, you know, it seems kind of fooey, woo woo, whatever sometimes, but it's like, there's, there's science to it, right? Because like the more clarity you have, the more your brain is able to kind of make it tangible and measurable and that sort of stuff. So getting really clear on that. I mean, a lot of people know what they don't want a lot more than they know what they want. And so if you know that, that's a good place to start Write down. Okay. I don't want this. I don't want that. I don't like this. I don't want to be doing this you know, like a lot of people know that they don't want to be doing their current job in the future, but they don't know what they would rather do instead, you know? Mm-hmm. And so getting really clear on that vision. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. And, you know, one of them that I like that I got from one of my favorite authors, MJ DeMarco, uh, is called the 10-5-1 plan. And so basically what you do is you create your 10-year vision. Where do you want to be in 10 years? And you do it kind of category by category. You can do it however you want. I like to go category by category. So what car am I driving? What's my typical day look like? Where am I living? How much money do I have in my bank account? Who are my friends? Like you can get really, really dialed in with it. 
I think I have like 12 categories or something like that. What's my, like, at that point in my life, what's my hobbies? What am I learning? You know, what toy am I buying myself like that year? So like, you know, 10 years out, I'm like, I'm buying myself a freaking like helicopter, you know? Heck or, yeah, heck yeah. Yeah. Or five years out, I'm buying myself like a sweet RV. But like one year out, it's like, I'm buying myself a mountain bike, you know? So it's like, it, it's all like kind of uh, in levels, but you figure out that 10 year uh, vision get really clear on that. And then you say, okay, five years, where do I need to be in all those categories to be on the trajectory to where I want to be in 10 years? And then for your five year, you say, okay, where do I need to be in one year to be moving towards that trajectory? Right. And then you have your one year and you say, okay, a year, now I can break that down into months. So what actions do I need to take this month? And then you can just further break it down week and day. And so everything, so you kind of use this vision as like your guiding compass to all your decisions. And so every decision that you make, everything that you decide to do or not do, you say, does this align with where I'm trying to go? Mm. You may find that you start moving towards one direction. You're like, you know what? I thought I wanted that, but I really don't. And so it's a living document. It always changes as, you know, as you grow and evolve and learn more about yourself. But there's a fine line between that, like rerouting and quitting, like, because a you know, a lot of people will say, I want this. And they start to take action towards it. And they're like, oh crap, like this is a lot harder than I thought. This is going to take a lot more work and time than I thought. And 90% of people will stop at that. And they'll say, you know what? I'm fine. I'm happy. They'll convince themselves they're happy. And they'll say, you know, that was a nice thought, nice dream, but you know, maybe I'll, I'll accept this other smaller thing instead, you know? And so there's a fine line between redirecting and quitting, you know? Or adjusting the vision versus like quitting on the vision. So I know that's a lot, but that's a very practical thing that I think so many people can do to create that kind of long-term vision. And, you know, because usually anything that you do to kind of maximize short-term gain or pleasure is taken away from your odds of getting that long-term big picture thing. Like they're often so at odds and mm. culture society teaches us to value that like short-term comfort you know, live for the weekends, a two week vacation, but it's like, I'm like in 10 years, I want to be doing whatever the heck I want in my life. I want to be financially abundant. I want to be able to go wherever I want. I want to have like the people I look up to, the authors I follow say, like, I'll be hanging out with those people, like at their house, Word. you know, be my like, I'm going to know Tony Robbins on a first name basis, like, you know, all these things. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's, what motivates me. And then also that will dictate like, like most people don't have a risk tolerance because they can't see that, you know, sometimes you got to take some more risk or, or go through uncertainty in the beginning for a while to get to that certain place. So like with entrepreneurship, like so many people say they want to start their own business, but then they can't walk away from that job because they can't, they can't stand the thought of not having like a steady paycheck coming Security, in. Security. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you, if you're not going to take the leap now, you're probably not going to take it later because it's only going to become harder and harder. Right. Especially as, you know, say you have kids and you get more commitments or you get a mortgage, whatever. And so it's like, you know, you got to do it sooner than later because it's never really going to get easier. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a huge thing that holds so many people back. And for me, I've, I've gone through a ton of like when I went out into entrepreneurship, I didn't have any experience and have any track record. I didn't have any connections. I didn't have any savings. 
was like, and I probably wouldn't do it that same way if I did it again, because I've racked up, you know, a substantial amount of credit card debt because I'm like, I'm going to see this through and do it. Right, right. But the leverage that I get on myself with that long-term goal allows me to endure the uncertainty. So I say, man, this sucks right now. I'm stressed, definitely anxiety. I don't, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is hard to see sometimes, but I'm like, I don't do this and I settle and I go and get what I'd call like a regular job or nine to five or whatever, where I'm kind of capped. And I'm like, there's no chance that I'm going to be able to live that 10 year vision that I have planned. Mm -hmm. So having that allows you to gain leverage on yourself in the short term to, to stick it through those tough times. Yeah, dude. I, and, and I think, I think of words like faith and, and hope, um, you know, when you're, when it's, you, you see, it's obvious, oh, I have a lot of credit card debt, but I know that I'm going to get these things. I know that I'm mm-hmm. capable of handling these things. Look how far I've come already. That's, that's really where I always just love bringing in those words. We, we throw out the, the baby with the bathwater, so to say, when it comes to those, those words like uh, faith and, and hope. But I think they are important to bring in even, even into the entrepreneur world. Um, yeah. I, I, I was uh, uh, just to make a distinction on that, like there's a difference between having hope and faith in what you're doing and executing on it versus just hoping and praying, right? Which is a lot of people's uh. strategy, right? When it comes to like, oh, someday, like I, I hope this happens in my life or I hope I have this. It's like, that's not a strategy. Like you have to have faith and belief, but it has to accompany a plan of action, right? Because and praying or like you know talk about law of attraction it's like no you can't just sit there and like a million dollars isn't going to fall out of the sky yeah and so you have to do that stuff to create the belief but it's really about the law of action like you have to have the belief coupled with action or a plan for it to work and so you could hope and pray all you want but right you know unless you win the lottery that's it's probably not going to work for you so just a quick distinction there yeah no no law of attraction with a lot of hard work definitely Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was thinking about, you, you know, you're talking about our, our belief systems, our, our societal belief systems, uh, a lot of it to even question like, wait, how, why do I believe what I believe and who taught me that and is it helpful and is it attributing to or taking away from me getting the things that are going to bring me joy and, and be, the, you know, be an actualized being? Uh, w- when it comes to that whole realm, just societal beliefs, I think about um, comedians, for example. Comedians are... They're kind of the ones who are telling the jokes that they're funny because they're talking about how absurd we're being or, or we're, where we're being ridiculous as a culture. And, and they're perfect. They're very needed. They're very necessary. We need comedians. Um, and I also think of artists and, you know, all these different realms of artistry, um, not just painters, but musicians and, and poets and, um, and singers and people who create and just in anything artistry, they're also kind of doing that same pushing the boundaries of what we're supposed to be doing, you know, pointing out the edges of, of where we are as a culture and what we believe. Where do you find people like you? Because I feel like you do fit into this realm of, uh, you know, personal development, uh, self-help, uh, you know, believing in yourself, being positive, being not like most people, thinking differently, all, all the things, um, all the categories that you may fall into. I feel like they are really important, kind of up here with the artistry and, and the um, comedians. Do you, do you have any thoughts around that? Like, like where do you see yourself or the, the personal development world in this pushing against the edges of belief systems? 
Yeah. <laughs> I got a few thoughts on that. You have like another hour or so? On oh, this hit stuff? me, man. I'm open. Hit me. <laughs> I'm all ears. Yeah. That's a, uh, man, that's a massive part of what I believe. You know, so like not, not most people, if you looked at it like a Venn diagram, one side of it would be a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, like success and being elite and that sort of thing. Not most people. The other side is anti-group think. So thinking for yourself, standing out from the crowd, kind of forging your own path. And so that's a huge part of it. Uh, and I don't know, I, I can't pinpoint like one specific time where I started to realize that I thought differently, but I remember growing up, you know, I, I was homeschooled through seventh grade, like I said, but I did not want to be, I wanted to go to school and my mom, you know, she's Catholic and pretty like she's didn't want me to be exposed to the public school system or whatever. And I was like, why this and why that? And I would always ask why I've always been a very logical person, like I guess even since I was little. Uh, and so I'd ask why. And a lot of times, whether it was her or even when I got to school and it was teachers or other authority figures. And a lot of times the answer would be like, cause we said so. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like that's not an answer. Yeah. That's no, uh, like a non-answer. And so I was like, why are these like, cause I would always ask that when something didn't like add up in my head, like, why is this the rule? Why are we learning this? Right. Like in high school, I'm like, why am I learning pre-calculus? Like, I don't I have no interest in this for any reason, you know, and, like stuff like that. It's like, why aren't we learning real life skills? You know, like, why aren't we learning money management and social skills and, you know, stuff like that. And so I was always like questioning things. And so like, for example, my high school was like an all guys private high school that again, I did not want to go to, uh, but they had this one rule where if you got caught with your cell phone, like in school or even after school, like inside the school, even the parking lot, sometimes you got five hours of detention. And I was like, why is that a rule? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why does being on your phone deserve five hours of sitting in a room in silence? It's like, yeah, what? Yeah, like just things like that. Like, that's an extreme example, but there's so much that I was like, what? And then I was like, why does everyone go to college, even if they don't know why they're going to college or what they want to do and that sort of thing? So it's like, I went to college, I had a great time was it worth six figures? Like what I learned, not a chance, not even close. Mm -hmm. Like I learned so much more in the few years after college than I did in college, like through right. self-education. And so I realized that we've been taught most, like most of our lives what to think and not how to think. And so it's like we learned in school, like don't question authority, do it, you know, follow the rules, do what everyone else does. If you, don't understand something or question something or believe something different, like that's frowned upon. Right. And so all these things, I'm like, why is it, why is there like this narrative that everyone is kind of gently pushed to follow? And I think I became more conscious of that over the last several years. Like as I got into personal development, I realized that almost everything that I was reading or hearing from people who were super successful or where I wanted to be was like, very different or oftentimes the opposite of what I had been taught growing up, right? Like even when it comes to like money management or like, I'm like, why is the food, like I'm in the health and fitness space, I'm like, why is the food pyramid, the food pyramid? Like, why are they 
tell you to eat all kinds of grains, potatoes. And it's like, well, that was made back in the 1960s. By Kellogg's. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, <laughs> follow the money, right? That's a whole nother, whole nother can of worms. But yep. just all of these things, I'm like, there's so much that doesn't add up that we're taught, like, and that most people believe. And that's why, you know, one of the things for not most people, like, that I came up with that, just kind of my thought process, even for how I came up with it, I said, most people aren't really healthy. Most people aren't really wealthy and most people aren't really happy. So why the heck would you want to live or think like most people? Brilliant. And so like with that basic logic, it's like, oh yeah. So the people who are where I want to be, that small percentage of people who are really fit, small percentage of people who are really wealthy, a small percentage of even smaller percentage of people that are truly happy these days, they're doing things a lot different than the majority or than what kind of society teaches. Right. And so that was a huge part of it. And so now, you know, I can't even, I can't even watch like mainstream media, you know, like it's so, there's so much, I'm like, these are for-profit companies. Again, I'm not going to go too far down the, the rabbit hole here, but these are for-profit companies, same, same as universities, right? Like why are universities getting massively more expensive, like way more than inflation over the past 20 years, right? This student debt and stuff like that. And so all of it, you look back and you say, okay, why are these things happening? And you say, well, these big news corporations, like when you have that much power and influence, you are ripe for corruption. Like they're, you know, donor, or who, who's gonna contribute the most? Like almost all of them are bought in some way. Right, like are paid for by special and like so they have to pay, you know cater to whoever's kind of funding them and and all this stuff and it's like so are there motives really to be honest and truthful? It's like no because that doesn't get eyeballs. Like what gets eyeballs, which makes them money, is controversy and you know people like the human mind is instinctively geared towards focusing on danger. So when you see bad news, we think danger, and this was a survival mechanism for most of history, but now they've kind of taken advantage of that and used it because they know that like people will read about bad news or pay attention to bad news a lot more than good news or the truth. And so like, we'll say whatever kind of most ridiculous thing is to get the most attention because, you know, even if they don't want to, they're going to lose viewers to the, their competitors if they don't. Right. And so they've kind of created this like vicious cycle of competition with like who can who can get the most eyeballs. And like at this point, you know, like with AI, with all the data they have, it's like they know exactly what triggers to pull and what kind of stuff. to. So it's just there's no way to ever see it ending or to have it be like, oh, here's the news, because like we have you your best interest in mind, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you turn on the news and you think the world's falling apart, you know, and in some ways it might be. But you know, when you don't ever see any good and, and people see that as like their little window into reality of like what's going on in the outside world. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you're, you're looking at a very small controlled, like you see what they want you to see version of the outside world, Yeah, you know? And so like, that's just one example. Right. And then like schools, you know, why is, why is there this push to get everyone to college, you know, regardless of if, you know what you want to do or not or if you're like i'd say 90 percent of degrees are pretty much worthless like i could have gone and became a trainer without a strength conditioning degree pretty easily 
right? Like if you're in science, technology, whatever, then yeah, that's a different story. But, you know, my sister, uh, one of my sisters, she got a political science degree, doesn't use it, never did. Mm -hmm. sister, she got like a applied like health in the community or she kind of did like an individualized major. She's not using it right now. Uh, so like a lot of these things, you, you, you don't need them. Like if you went and got spent four years getting like real world experience, you'd probably be a lot further than the beginning. And they make it really easy to get student loans compared to any other type of loan. It's like, mm -hmm. okay. You're, and this is again, a stand up comedian that I saw. It was a little bit. And he's like, you want to go get like a business loan for this thing that you're making money on. And it's like, okay, what's your credit? What's your inventory? Like, what are we going to leverage against it and all this stuff? And it's like, oh, I can't get a loan for like 10 grand. And it's like, and then they go to a college student and it's like, oh, okay. So you have no skills. You're 18. Uh, you're going to come out and, and all this debt. Yeah. Okay. Here, yeah. here's all, here, like all the money you could want. 60 K so easy. Yeah. 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 And so it's creating this like debt society and they, mm. they want that because when people are in debt, obviously if they're government loans, the government makes money on them and they can't be forgiven through bankruptcy or anything like that. Right. Student loans. And then also it forces people to keep working and keep giving back in taxes to the system. So it's all just like, it's this big kind of manufactured like system that they or the higher up, whatever you want to call it, have kind of manufactured, uh, and a lot of people buy into it, right? And that's why so many people are stuck in this rat race and can't retire until they're 60. And I'm like, the idea of working 40, 50 hours a week for like the vast majority of your life, like what kind of life is that? You know, and mm -hmm. most people never think twice about it. So right. I could keep ranting and ranting on this stuff. Dude, but. no, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I totally agree on, on a lot of this stuff. It's I, I really think of it as capitalism is now just watching itself eat its own tail and we're like, well, this, it's what you do in, in our generation and people who think a little bit outside the box are saying, Hey, there's no uh, long-term benefits of this. This has like ran its course. We need to be doing something differently. Why are you continuing doing it? Um, and, and I think that, you know, kind of coming back to the, to the uh, question that I was asking is I think this realm of self-development, this realm of, of bettering ourselves in this realm of, um, you know, breaking the group think in whichever ways we can do, you know, a lot of times through podcast conversations, um, uh, or, or being in the, in these groups to empower one another is, is a good way for us to all think kind of outside of the box. And I think more and more, it's not going to sound as woo woo and as, um, as, you know, crazy conspiracy theory person when we're, when we're challenging the status quo, when more and more people start to understand it. And I feel that our generation, I, th I think you're, are you millennial? Are you around my age, around 30s? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be 30 this month. Oh, cool. Hey, happy early birthday. Um, I'll, I'll be 30 in, in just a, a few short months after that. Um, but yeah, I do kind of see our, we're the tail end of millennials, you know, like not too much younger than us is, uh, is Gen Z and, and the people who have grown up with cell phones and they're growing up wanting their own piece of something. You know, you look at dudes like uh, Logan Paul and Jake Paul and stuff is there. A lot of what they do is totally outlandish, but it's also this huge, you know, the lighthouse siren to me of this whole generation coming up of people are, who are going to build their own stuff. They're going to do their own thing. They're going to find their own ways of, of winning. Like I, I just, I don't see a lot of the younger people paying for college in, in the ways that um, people our age and older have so I just think it's going to be 
it's a huge change, and I do see uh, you know people like you really kind of um, maybe not leading the charge, but you're definitely up there in, in, in a strange way. Like it's, it's very important what you guys are doing. It's empowering the individual and not just holding up a, a instruction booklet of read these. Here's what you do. Here's how you live life, and you'll by the time you're 40, you'll have a white picket fence, and you can retire and drink margaritas until you fall over on the beach. Like, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. so it, it's important what you do, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think everything goes in cycles, right? Like if you look at 50 years ago, a college degree was pretty rare, you know, because you know, college was technically a lot more affordable than it is now, even compared to inflation. But, you know, it was like certain people went to college. Otherwise, you, a lot of people were blue collar. They got their careers. They stayed with a company for a long time. Right? And then we saw this evolution of like more and more people go to college. Now that's the norm. And now in the future, you're going to see people start to realize and start to realize it already that college doesn't guarantee like a success or career afterwards. And so then you're going to see this, but it all kind of like it goes cyclically. Right. And, you know, right now they're still trying to kind of, the narrative is still share that, like you go to school, you get good grades, you get a degree, you get a career, you get a house. And that's, you know, what you do, you know, but that's, that's not how it works anymore. Like so many more people are self-employed. A lot of people don't really need the big house. They want freedom. They want to be able to travel. They want to be able to pursue what they want. And so I think we're seeing, like you said, this big shift away from kind of the way things have been for the last, you know, since our, our parents in the fifties and sixties, like how it's kind of been. Um, so it's interesting to see for sure. But it's like, it's interesting too, because You've also seen like people grew up like our parents like reading the newspaper, watching the news each day, and for for the most part, like you could trust the news back then. Like there wasn't this whole like fake news and bias and all and like division like there is now. So it's like it's really interesting to see that cross section of all of these things that are shifting. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 a it's you know equatable to madness in a lot of ways, really, as <laughs> we're trying to tell our grandparents no it's that's not the only truth anymore and the young kids are not even like reading any of it listening to any of it there's it is this strange time that we are in um but i i think that we'll come out on the other side of it a lot more intelligent as um you know i think maybe we can empower the group think to actually be a little more intellectual that would be nice uh with some time i had a uh my i, I was a theater kid amongst many other things growing up in in high school um, and my favorite drama teacher would always say, dare to be different. Mm. And it's, it's this such simple thing, and you can broadly apply it to so many different things, but it really it sparks right here, and I think that it is very important. Just That's that first thing is dare to be different, dare to you know, question the status quo and, and really think, what, what, what are my beliefs getting me? Who, who taught them to me? Um, how are they helping me out? Can I find some other ways to help myself out? Is there things that I'm neglecting that I could be teaching myself? Um, you know, all, all these things. So Bradley, we are getting up here in time. Um, mm -hmm. I am, I'm a single man, but I definitely want to help out my homies, my listeners with um, relationships, long-term relationships. So I, I hate to, to crunch you into this, like, give me an elevator pitch of it, but can mm -hmm. you give me just like a few minutes of what's like some, some optimum, um, you know, like, advice that you might give to people in relationships because you are a relationship coach as well like what do you find often what's something that's very common um you know most, most bang for our buck here yeah so there's two sides to that there's the side of like you're talking to the single guys which is 
me in the past. And then you're talking to people who are in long-term relationships. And so the principles differ a little bit, uh, but kind of like what we were, we've been talking about, I try to wake people up to all these misconceptions that people have about relationships, about dating. And like we talked about all these things with the news and school and stuff, but like when it comes to relationships and dating, like I think Hollywood has actually put a lot of ideas into our minds that aren't necessarily yeah. true, right? That like, oh, if you're like a really nice guy, eventually she'll dump the asshole and ride off into the sunset with you, right? <laughs> and, it, and then all these nice guys are like, you know, why isn't it working that way? You know, like I'm doing all these romantic gestures and it, she still is just, you know, with this other douchebag, right? And uh, so that's like one thing. The other thing is that this idea of a soulmate that once you find your soulmate or the right person that everything clicks and that's that's what matters and that's what right. you know well that matters for maybe like six months to that initial like getting to know each other period but then beyond that you know it's like people think people know that when it comes to health and fitness that if you don't work out you get out of shape right people know that if you stop working you don't make money you and your career goes south but people think that they get into a relationship and if it's the right person, that that takes care of everything. And you don't do anything. You don't do anything. <laughs> and so you really see, and every once in a while, you'll have that odd couple that ju it just kind of works, you know, and they can get away with that. But that's like the rare, rare exception. Like most people need to work at it. Otherwise, as you evolve and change as a person, like that one little thing that your partner does that used to think was cute now annoys the heck out of you and stuff like that. And so, you know, because it was new, but like those things can build over time, resentment builds things that you like, we're, we're taught that, Oh, we don't want to hurt our partner. We don't want to make them feel bad. And so we'll hold back a lot of things that need to be said for fear of hurting their feelings, even though like those things need to be worked through. And so like the more you ignore them, then like that resentment can build up and then communication blocks happen. And then, one thing leads to another. And so there's this idea of relationship development that I like to share, which is work on your relationship with your partner, the same way that you guys work on your health, the same way that you talk about finances, whatever. Like, so me and my fiance, we don't stick up, to, like we don't do it every month, but we try to pick some sort of relationship focused book and read it and then kind of discuss it together. We try to like you know, coming back to like the love languages, get each other just a random gift mm. here and just because, you know, it doesn't have to be a special occasion. Uh, you know, little things like that, making sure that, you know, a lot of people have a date night, but even if you can't have a date night, just having a night where you're together and you're fully present, like no phones, right? That's a big thing these days. Right. Uh, making sure we, we go away on little trips together every so often, right? And that, I know that gets harder and when you have kids and all that kind of stuff, but making making it a priority because if you don't work these things into your life, like you do going to the gym or going to work or whatever, like it's going to slide and it's going to get neglected. And then we got half over half the couples, you know, marriages ending in divorce now. And so mm -hmm. you have to work on these things. And so trying to change that misconception that like, yeah, your soulmate, it's cool and all that, but that's like a small piece of the picture. Right. And then the whole other side, which I'm passionate about too, is like for dudes, like you're talking about, uh, really for me, like, so we've been together over six years, me and my fiance. And for the first probably four, four and a half, 
you know, things were rocky at times. We didn't really communicate on like a deep level and we had a lot of clashes and that was because I didn't really have an understanding of what true masculinity meant, mm. polarity. So, you know, we grow up thinking that masculinity is an appearance like jacked tattoos, drives a pickup truck, like that's masculine, right? Or like as a female, like you wear pink and have long blonde hair and makeup and whatever. But what they are is they're actually kind of energies or states of being. And so you could have the most masculine look in the world, but it, but you could be doing feminine traits, right? Like the simple example is your, your girlfriend says, hey, where do you want to go eat? And you say, oh, I don't know, where do you want to go eat? And it just goes back and forth. She's looking for you to make the decision and say, we're going here. And then she says, okay, he's focused. He knows what he wants. He knows where he's going. And that's what they want, right? And then they can relax and be kind of more feminine and whatever. And so understanding just a lot of those little dynamics about like what it really means to be masculine, like having a strong presence, not being thrown off, not, you know, I would, we'd get into arguments. I would kind of withdraw and be quiet. And I try and be a pleaser. Like that's the biggest thing, right? When you talk about nice guys, like, you know, pleaser, like, oh, always deferring to what she wants. And it's like, no, it's like, if she's a feminine woman, and obviously it exists all over the spectrum. Like you can have a masculine woman with a feminine man and it can work. Right. That balance is in the middle. And so, but if you have a feminine woman and you're kind of exhibiting feminine qualities, you get thrown off that middle of polarity and then there's clashes or vice versa. You'd be a masculine dude, but then, you know, if your fiance say is a, or not fiance, but your girlfriend is a, like an entrepreneur and she has to have that hardcore focus, like, go, 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 like at work or whatever she's working on and then brings that home, then there could be another clash there. And so it's learning to kind of find this balance in the middle and understanding, like for me, I was kind of, again, being that pleaser. And so she would have to take on this more masculine role and it would throw her off and she'd be, and you know, and, and it's, it's always shifting and balancing, but if you're off of your natural set point for too long, things start to go south right? You start to not. And so it's learning to understand that. And once I, one book I would recommend is the way of the superior man by David Dida. Hmm. And that book gave me so many light bulb moments, understanding like, Oh, she is all mad about this thing. And I'm like, why is she mad about this little thing? It's like, no, she's mad about this, that, and the other thing that happened over the last few weeks. And it's just coming out now because of this little thing. Right. Uh And so understanding like a lot of those things and, and, uh, being able to stay like strong and present in an argument and not be thrown off emotionally by her a whole lot. And like her knowing that you're not going anywhere, that you have your, like all these things really started to change our dynamic and help me understand that. And I think that that's so missed uh, by most people growing up because unless they had like a strong father figure that kind of exhibited these things, you know, you you know, again, there's a lot more I could go into, but I'll, I'll, leave it at that as a right excellent man no i think that was all really good and i I do agree there's like where do we where do we learn this stuff we we think we i I would hate for anybody to see this as any sort of defeat or like you're lesser than or like your relationship is failing so now you need you need help and that makes you like it's not like that it was these are real things that our our world our technology our everything has changed and we've got to change with it um, and we've got to, you know, and, and we could relearn these when you, when you say words like masculine and feminine, like I already know of the, the annotations that come with that, you know, we, we do think of this, yeah, yeah, the stereotypes, um, and we, even in kind of the spirituality world, 
it is, um, it's just a lot more in-depth in and kind of hard to reach. But if you mm -hmm. simplify it into, you know, hey, this is a, a feminine thing that she's doing by hinting at these things and you need to uptake your masculine and listen in these ways, it, it helps make, make sense of it all. Um, yeah, I think all great stuff. We are getting up here in time, though, so let's uh, let's round the corner, my friend. Let's uh, let's give everybody a little bit uh, of your like. What do you got going on right now? What are you working on? Where can we find all of your info? Where can we listen to your podcast? Give us the whole lowdown on Bradley Roth. You got it. Yeah, uh, not most people is the podcast. You can find it on all of the major streaming platforms if you just search it. Or I actually just launched the website uh, a few days ago at notmostpeople.net. You can find kind of everything, not most people there. It's a podcast right now, but the vision is to create a community, uh, you know, eventually have blogs, have courses, apparel. Everything. So this is just kind of like the starting point. So for everything in one spot, notmostpeople.net. And then in terms of personally, probably the best way is to just connect on Instagram, which is at Bradley underscore Roth. Uh, my relationship site is in the works right now, uh, still, nice. but, uh, excited about that. Uh, and I'll start, I'll be putting out a lot more content around that. So, uh, not most people.net and at Bradley underscore Roth on Instagram is probably the easiest way to get in touch. Cool. Cool. Wonderful. And just as someone who has, I, I've been listening to your podcast a little bit, um, the, timeless, totally like the, you don't have to wait for the newest episode. He's got already has a, a couple of really great episodes from what I thumbed through, um, I, I definitely enjoy your podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be a normal listener, I think, Bradley. So um, I appreciate you doing everything that you do. I appreciate your time um, in, in, in opening up and expressing yourself and talking about all these things and answering my uh, really long-winded questions. Um, one, one last thing before we send it off. I like to, to try to find some sort of interesting um, question at the end. Here's one that I like to ask a lot. Um, if you had to give – if you had to answer – what does the world need more of right now? What would you say? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, yeah. It's funny because I have a question that I ask everyone too on my podcast. Uh, <laughs> and now I know what it feels like to be stumped. But Oh, dang. <laughs> man, uh, I feel like my answer goes back to kind of what we said. If, if we could start teaching people like those soft skills, those, that understanding of basic psychology and stuff like that at a younger age and understanding behavior and how the mind works on like a basic level. Like I said, I think that can solve a lot of problems um, because otherwise we're driven by like, we don't understand our actions. We don't understand other people's actions. And so that causes us to react emotionally. And as you've seen, emotional reactions versus emotional, like you can, emotion's great, serves a purpose, but having responses, right? Versus being like what we call triggered. Uh, it doesn't leave room to find middle ground. Mm. And so until people find, have this ability to kind of question things or to think for themselves or to have logical conversations, it's gonna be really hard to bridge all these visions that we're seeing and uh, so I think a little more a little more understanding of human behavior and of ourselves yeah he's super helpful yeah that, dude I really love that answer I, I I totally agree I think just 
the amount of of gold that's just just below the surface you know you just you just really don't have to learn you don't have to make it your life's purpose and, and you know read books for the next 35 years about psychology I, just diving into it a little bit learning how you work learning how other people work teaching our young people how it works from a young age like you said uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's ju- just this subtle thing but it really starts to shape your reality and how you yeah. perceive yourself and in, in your internal dialogue as well as your external conversations with one another yeah, being able to uh, not suppress your emotions, but learning to control them and not have them control you is, is huge. So that that ability to, you know, master your emotions, at least on a basic level, uh, is huge, if I were to sum it up. Yeah, yeah it's, it's massive. Absolutely. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate you again. This was a great conversation. Thanks for uh, giving your time again. Listeners, Take care of yourselves. If you aren't doing mobility before your workouts, what are you doing? You're crazy. If you aren't drinking a ton of water, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't drank water today, you're out of your mind. Stop what you're doing. Pause this or keep listening and go get some water. Stretch. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. Check out Bradley Roth. Uh, I'll include in the the notes some links to his website and whatnot. Bradley, once again, thank you, man. I hope you have a good rest of your day, too. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Take care, man.